Ten minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. We take a look at the latest developments in the world of money and power. And my guest uh, to help us take a look at the big stories in the marketplace today is Roy Motoni. He's an analyst at APSA Asset Management. Roy, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming through. Roy, let's maybe start off uh, at CNA. I mean, we were talking about the story with, um, uh, you know, uh, a few friends of mine. We call it uh, Amaketla. Uh, and we're having a discussion about, I guess, CNA uh, with its uh, nearly 160 stores or so, not being able to meet its rent obligations or, or some of its uh, obligations to its creditors. So, so CNA has just been a difficult story. It's, it's passed on from owner to owner um, and, and different formats and different, and different strategies. But I think the bottom line here is um, this, this, this is a format that just doesn't work anymore. That combination of stationary mm. and, and high-end electronics in one place just doesn't seem to work because if you compare them with your competitor, PNA, who have tended to be more entrepreneurial, more uh, franchise-based, um, and more basic, uh, and have looked successful even through the lockdowns of last year, um, you, you, you can see this whole corporate structure, this corporate unwieldy structure that tries to be all things to all people, just doesn't seem to cut it anymore. But I think that's that's the main problem mm. that you have. You know, Roy, when you say this entity has changed hands, I mean, I was shocked at some stage it exchanged hands as it left the Edcon group for one rand apiece. I think Astoria came in, 1.2 million. Uh, so when we say changed hands, I, mean, I guess we're not talking in the bigger scheme of things about very large amounts. Well, but remember, when, you, when they say one rand, it, 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 they, they, they actually mean, yes, we exchange a rand, but you take on our liabilities. Yes, all of, on, all of them. <laughs> you take on the employees' pensions, you take on whatever loans and stuff like that. So it is worth, it, what they're basically saying is it, it's, worth, it's worth nothing in equity terms, mm. but whoever owns it has to service um, what its suppliers give it and, mm. and what the other stakeholders provide. So yeah. it, it, it is a burden. It, it definitely does seem that way. And now I think the problem you have is after changing hands so often uh, and then having operating issues as a result of the macroeconomy and also because of a poor business model, they'll really struggle to get somebody who's willing to be a white knight um, who will, who will, who will pay, take on the liabilities again. Uh, in the hope of turning it around. Mm. And I mean, let's talk about this business rescue process. I mean, the CEO uh, going out on a limb, speaking to potential business rescue practitioners without the blessing of the board. Well, the yeah. thing is, remember that, that the business was sold to management. Mm. And, and, and management must be very committed to the business. And, and I think he's got a great passion. I think he's had a, uh, a reputation for being a turnaround specialist. So I think he's just gotten desperate and he's looking for whatever solutions he can find. But I guess, I mean, is he the only equity holder? Yes, he's part of this management group that runs it now, but... Um, no, remember, yeah. remember, Astoria owned, I think it was 70% the management group, 30%, and mm. then I suppose the board would be a combination of them. Um, Astoria are an institutional investor. Um, that's, that's one thing that's clear. And they probably came here thinking big upside. Uh, he, as the entrepreneur who's, who sees the day-to-day running of the business, probably felt it's taking too long to make a decision. These deep-pocketed investors don't seem to want to be the ones who rescue it, so maybe let me find some other way to make sure my baby doesn't, doesn't mm. drown. Mm. 
Let's shift our attention to Long for Life. Now, uh, these guys are in the beverages space, care and wellness, sports and recreation. I mean, they, they give us Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, you know, these are also the guys who have Sorbet in their uh, stable as well. Uh, yeah, and Brian Joffe linked to this group as well. Um, not so good a showing for many of their businesses, but still a very strong cash position. And uh, it seems the share buyback uh, program continues. Yeah, so the thing about this one is they were hit very hard by lockdown. None of their businesses were considered essential services. I mean, Sobe, um, all their Sobe branches had to close completely. Um, and remember, Sobe is franchised. It's, it's run by normal, ordinary people like you and me who own franchises in specific in, in big malls and places like that. So that was a struggle. That is definitely a struggle, and they were unable to do it. Manufacturing of beverages and all that didn't happen at all. I guess the good thing is Brian Joffe's got a reputation for being a conservative businessman, and I think the business also inherited that. So they always had a solid balance sheet. They had raised capital, so they didn't have too much debt. Um, and as the, share, as the share sold off, I guess what they figured was the best investment they could make was in their shares, so they kept on buying those back. It's still very cheaply valued. It does, I think the share price doesn't adequately reflect the value of the underlying assets. But like you saw with the results, the underlying assets aren't producing what you would expect them to produce. Mm. But you have there's a reason. It's difficult times. They saw shutdowns, um, and 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 they're they're directed to the consumer. Following all these job losses and everything, um, I, I think it's part of the course. So yeah, tough yeah. results, but at least they're out there fighting. I think. That's a big positive. You know, I mean, Roy, a lot of people often uh, compare what's happening now with the situation that happened during the Spanish flu in 1918. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think even the team at Long for Life, um, in its outlook, is thinking in that way that uh, there's going to be a lot of this pent-up demand for many of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, revenue verticals or the products they produce in those revenue verticals. Mm -hmm. Much similar to what people call the Roaring Twenties. So a lot of this pent-up demand sort of bubbles over when things come back to some semblance of normal and effectively find yourself in a boom. Um, Do you make, I guess, the same observation in your reading of how they've communicated their outlook for this business? Uh, And if indeed that does uh, happen, uh, what will it mean for Long for Life? So so the thing is, um, I, I, I don't blame them for being optimistic, but the reality here is that even before COVID, the SA economy was struggling. We were not creating jobs. GDP was not growing. GDP per capita has been going backwards for the last 10 years, which means we were effectively becoming poorer. Um, and, and now what COVID did was it just exposed these false lines and it just made life much harder. We've lost, I don't know how many millions, how, how many jobs. Um, corporates haven't come back. We're still under a state of, um, state of disaster. So there's still components of the economy that haven't opened up. We, we don't have an effective vaccine program. I mean, I was hearing this afternoon that even the Sisonke one mm. um, hasn't yet been concluded and healthcare workers haven't been vaccinated despite the time having run out. So, so we're still in the dark days. Huh? We're still mm. in difficult times. It's very early to be speaking about a recovery. But you know what? When you're in difficult times like this, you want to be the one who's got cash in your pocket and no bank knocking on your door. And I guess that's what Long for Life is right now. So they, they, they do, they should be optimistic, um, but no doubt, I know this management team quite well. Um, they, they know it's a long slog. It, it's a long, hard slog. Um, um, and, and, and I guess the, the, 
it's it, it, it's what we can expect during difficult times like these. Mm, mm. And if, if if we are to shift, you know, I mean, to our attention to to liberty. Uh, and I guess, you know, this has certainly been uh, the issue whenever we take a look at um, the numbers that come through from the financial services sector um, and, and even some of the big insurers. Uh, what's effectively been happening, I guess, to, to, to their liability mix um, uh, on the back of the pandemic, you know, the kind of mortality it's given rise to um, and what they've had to do from, a, I guess, you know, a solvency planning perspective. Talk to us about what's been happening here at Liberty and I guess, you know, how some of their underlying divisions uh, uh, also performed in a very, very uncertain and tough environment. So from a solvency perspective, they held up really well. Um, it showed good stability. The solvency capital requirement declined only marginally from about 1.81 to 1.79. But that just shows you good planning and conservative accounting as well. Um, quite clearly, the, the issue exactly like you're talking about of higher than expected mortality um, hits them, but they had this mortality provision, a lot of which was taken up in paying, paying out those claims. I think Liberty had the interesting component that it has property and Stanley, the asset manager. So they've seen volumes of new business continuing to grow. They still haven't reached the levels they were before the before COVID, but at least those are growing. And from the property perspective, they had the problem that um, a lot of the investors in that property segment um, were selling out looking for liquidity and they had to support them. They, they had to step in and, and, and put in their own shareholders' money. So, so I would say it's a resilient performance. They were, they were faced with um, a lot of difficulties from multiple fronts, but they were prepared for them. The numbers may not look particularly attractive at this point in time, but like we said with the others, what you want to come out of this crisis is um, standing up, walking, um, and, and ready to fight another day. Mm. Really, and I think that's exactly what they've given. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you look at some of the uh, other divisions, um, I guess within the broader stable, I mean, uh, the performance on that end? Yeah, so Stanley, um, which is an asset manager, which, collects, which manages investments on behalf of um, pensioners and, and unit trust investors, actually saw the assets under management increasing by about 3% um, the, the, um, on, on, on the equity side, which I suppose was supported by how markets um, accelerated. Like I said, property-wise, um, they, yeah, they, they, had to devalue, they had to devalue their property, but that wasn't, um, that wasn't a disaster. It was exactly what you'd expect. Uh, let's take a look at APSA Group Um, now a lot has happened there uh, uh, Roy and I know you you know are from APSA Asset Management so maybe put on your hat as uh, a citizen and I guess a market spotter and not necessarily you know somebody working for the Red Bank Um, let's talk maybe just I guess in the context of all of the you know bad PR they've uh, got in the last while uh, with all of the exits and the seeming palace politics of it Um, uh, and how you read that alongside what uh, came out in this voluntary trading update today strong showing for their interest income and much stronger margins uh, but also I guess not so strong a showing when it comes to some of their fee commission and other non-interest income Uh, but um, flat year-on-year revenue um, change. Uh, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, look, I think it's a reflection of what we're seeing in banking um, as a whole. Remember last year, uh, because of the lockdown, they had to give, they, they, had, they had to come to an arrangement with most of the people they had lent money to, deferring their loans or putting them on standstill. You couldn't advance new loans, so you could earn fees 
um, and and um, and it was all a function of how well capitalized you were. So Absa, like the other uh, big four banks, were well capitalized, so they didn't have a problem of um, liquidity or risk of going bankrupt. Now, as you're coming out, there's nobody to lend to. You also have low risk appetite. Now, because you have low risk appetite, it means you're not advancing loans, which means you're not generating fee income. Um, and then interest rates are also at all-time lows. So even on the loans that you have, especially the floating rate loans, you're not making much money on them. Um, interest rates are as low as they've ever been. So I think this is a resilient performance. The fact that they're able to come out confidently to say that they can start paying dividends um, in, the, in the first half just shows you how confident they are in their capital base and how they've managed to come out. I mean, the numbers are not impressive at all. Pre-provisioning income was... Um, low single digits. This should be in the high single digits for, for business of this size and in this economy. But it's a reflection of how difficult it is right now to charge fees mm. uh, because you're not advancing loans. You're not. You don't have the special the, the special products that you could give corporates or people like yeah. that. Let's also talk about credit performance. I mean, if, if you think about the retail business and banking division, mm-hmm. uh, headline earnings up uh, on the back, I guess, of uh, much lower impairs, impairments. Um, I mean, what, what do you read of that um, in a context where, as you say, probably not as much credit extension as uh, would have happened were it not for COVID-19? Yes, the bottom line there starts from no credit extension. Mm. So the minute you're not extending credit, it means your risk profile is not worsening. Then you have the deposit base and shareholder funds, which you can invest in government securities. Remember, the yields on government securities went quite high, so that supports your earnings without increasing your risk. So, so from that perspective, I think they manage themselves well. You can't live forever in that way. Eventually, you have to start lending your bank, because when you lend, you, you generate those fees. So in the context of an economy that was mostly closed for the past 12 months, and even for this quarter that they were reporting on, it was still partially closed. I think it's a commendable number. Um, I think it's a reflection of an understanding that you can't take on too much risk, that the only game in town really is government bills, um, treasury bills and bonds, mm. um, and, and, that, and that your primary your primary customer is trying to recover from an even harder situation. So from that perspective, I give them a bit of credit. Yeah, um, Yeah, let's talk about that cost base in general. Um, I mean, we've certainly seen in our experience as consumers, a lot of uh, brick and mortar branches of apps are closing down in very specific ways. They've also embarked on very strong digitization plans, uh, really, I guess, to achieve some cost leadership in many of their divisions. Have any of those plans worked? Well, you've seen it both in APSA and in a couple of the other big banks that their cost income ratios have declined. Exactly because of that. They're not hiring new people, closing down branches where you can, automating where you can, um, making people pay higher fees for transactions or face-to-face things. So so those are working, but it's incredibly slow. Just remember, these big banks all have things like legacy systems, Mm. multiple old systems that need to be supported, new IT initiatives, and and the like. And so it's difficult for them to get to very competitive um, cost-to-income ratios. But APSA has definitely, I think in the past one year, past 18 months, uh, made some progress in reducing its cost-to-income, uh, its cost-to-income ratio. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's difficult in the context of having all of these 
systems and, and real estate and South Africa being such a big country where you have to have a physical presence in most places. Mm. Um, yeah, that's been, I think that's a difficult thing to achieve. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, for the next while, I mean, they have given some guidance in the marketplace advising that, uh, you know, their earnings per share and earnings for the six months ending 30 June uh, of this year are expected to be more than 10 times the comparatives for the first half of 2020. Uh, is that a safe comparison to be making? I mean, we've heard a lot of people coming in and saying, well, we'd rather compare to 2019 rather than 2020. I actually think the more relevant comparison for them is now they're saying that group return on equity will exceed the cost of equity um, imminently. When we first looked at these numbers, when they started reporting during COVID, we, we, we like most of the people um, who look at these companies, felt that none of these businesses, none of these big banks would get um, a return on equity above its cost of capital for the next two, three, four years even. Um, but these guys seem to have been able to now fix themselves in such a way that they'll actually get there. Now, why is that important? That, that just means that their shares now suddenly become a lot more attractive because you're having positive returns. We thought positive returns would only come out after two, three, or four years, depending on, on the individual bank. And I think that's the most important thing to keep here. Don't compare it to the past. Don't compare it to 2020 or even 2019. 2019 is a high watermark. That's a different world. 2020, um, I think it's vanity to think to say we are a thousand times or a hundred times better than that. The important thing is to ask, are you, are you now making money? Are you earning a return on your capital that's higher than the cost of capital? How mm. soon are you going to be able to do that? If these guys can say that they're going to do that by the end of this year, I think that's a phenomenal performance. Roy Motoni? Real pleasure catching up with you uh, on this Thursday evening and uh, really appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks for having me. Awesome Have stuff. A good evening. You too. Take care. Roy Motoni, analyst at APSA Asset Management, joining us, uh, helping us to make sense of uh, the latest in the marketplace. The season of living land pays special emphasis on the next generation and their role in agriculture, rural development and food security. Uh, living land is aimed at bringing the youth back into agriculture and you can join my colleague,